Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about Amit, the Egyptian devourer of souls. Today's episode combines research into ancient Egyptian culture to illuminate their understanding of the afterlife. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Mythical Monsters. Each week, we explore exciting tales that bring history's most terrifying monsters to life. By learning about where these legends began, we can better understand why they've continued to strike fear into our hearts for centuries. Today, we're discussing the Egyptian beast Amit. Amit is a denizen of the underworld who doles out a final punishment to wicked souls who do not deserve to enter the afterlife. Amit preys upon our fear of mortality and is one of the earliest myths to explore the terrifying idea of judgment after death. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, we'll dive into the history of Amit, the Devourer. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea. 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viori, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. They call her the Devourer of the Dead. It's an apt name for the hybrid creature Amit. Her sole directive is to consume sinful hearts that are too foul to enter Aaru, the eternal field of heavenly paradise. In the Hall of Two Truths, the palatial foyer of the underworld where a soul stands trial, Amit sits beside Osiris, the god of the dead. Though she appears calm, her physical form inspires terror. Amit is the unsettling amalgamation of the three most fearsome man-eating animals that lived in ancient Egypt. She has the body of a wildcat, the head of a crocodile, and the hind legs of a hippopotamus. As hair-raising as her appearance is, what she represents is even more chilling. 
For the ancient Egyptians, the road to the afterlife could be cut short by Amit's jaws. The concept of the afterlife was incredibly important to the ancient Egyptians, affecting many aspects of daily life. They would leave tables full of offerings in their homes, pay homage to the gods, and take as many precautions as they could afford to prepare for death. It's not clear when Amit first entered the Egyptian mythological lexicon, but she's featured in paintings and funerary texts on the walls of tombs called pyramid texts that date back as far as 2400 BCE. These writings detail ways to navigate the perilous journey through the underworld to the Hall of Judgment. During each judgment, a soul stands before a tribunal of 42 gods and confesses their sins. The soul's heart is then placed on a scale by Anubis, the patron of lost souls. It's weighed in opposition with a feather from the wings of Ma'at, the goddess of truth and justice. If the heart was lighter than the feather, then the soul is admitted to Aaru. But if the heart is heavier, it means that the person has led a sinful life. In this case, the heart is thrown to Amit. She devours it hungrily, killing the deceased for the second, final time. An ancient, rusty scale sat on a stone table. Its two metal arms were extended outwards, quivering as they balanced two baskets that hung from either end. In one, a feather. In the other, a beating heart. The scale trembled, swaying one way to favor the feather before dipping down with the heart's weight. The heartbeats grew faster, the scale moved indecisively. Then it made its choice. The heart slowly pulled the scale downwards until it hit the stone beneath it. It sat there, beating with fervor. From behind the scale, a pair of yellow, glowing eyes opened. A scaly snout emerged from the darkness. In an instant, the beast's jaws opened wide and closed on the heart. <laughs> Neja sat up and placed a hand over his beating heart. It was just a nightmare, another one. He cursed under his breath. He was sick of this. It had been three days since the physician had told him he was gravely ill, and three nights of the same horrific dream. He coughed violently. His own body was reminding him of his ineptitude. Age was such a betrayal. Nejes looked around his small, one-room reed hut. Stolen knickknacks and trinkets peppered the space. Nejes was, and always had been, a thief. A thief in his youth, and now a thief as an old man. Even though he wasn't as quick as he once had been, stealing had only gotten easier with age. No one suspected a stooped, frail grandfather. Nejes grimaced at the sound of children playing nearby. It was much too early for that. 
He hauled himself up and opened his hut door, ready to yell at them. Nedjes stared into darkness, and the glowing yellow eyes from his dream opened. A gust of hot, rancid breath hit his face. The eyes were gone as quickly as they had appeared. Nedjes stared through the doorway at the playing children. His body thrummed with adrenaline. He knew what those eyes meant. They were the eyes of Amit, the devourer of the dead, the creature who stalked the underworld, lying in wait for a wicked heart to eat. And it was not until recently, when faced with death, that Nedjes had considered how tasty his heart would be. (coughs) The old thief coughed again. He was running out of time. Nedjes staggered through the dense bustle of Mayunahes. It was a small town, but a crowded one. Huts sat close together in the shadow of the great mortuary temple of Ramses III. It was a structure that loomed over the commoners, reminding them of all they were not. Nedjes paused to look at it scornfully. The dead Ramses lay amid finery with an extensive guidebook to the afterlife. The pharaoh's soul was probably lounging in Aaru, enjoying eternity. Nedjes would be lucky if he could scrounge up enough to barter for a single spell to help him get to the afterlife. And he needed two. He gripped the empty pouch that was tied to his waist. No scribe would take less than three ounces of copper, and Nedjes had exactly nothing. His sharp eyes scanned the crowd, looking for a victim. They settled on a young girl clutching her mother's hand. Their clothes were not fancy, but they weren't dirty or torn either. They were sure to have something of value on them. Nedjes lurked behind them as they stopped in front of a vendor selling wares. The young girl looked over at him and smiled. A rare pang of guilt struck the old thief. He'd had a family once, a wife and daughter. Illness had taken them both. Nedjes often wondered where they were now, if they had passed safely through the Hall of Judgment. Nedjes shook the thought off quickly. There was no doubt that his daughter rested in Aaru. If anyone deserved the Eternal, it was her. His thoughts were interrupted by the sound of metal clinking. The girl's mother was counting out a few pieces of copper. Nedjes tensed. This was his chance. He hobbled over and bumped against the mother. The mother gasped and staggered forward, dropping the copper. Nedjes exaggerated a stumble and fell to the ground. He wheezed out an apology, blaming his old knee. As he struggled to his feet, his hands frantically grabbed at the copper pieces in the dirt. The mother softened and helped him up, not noticing as Nedjes slipped the coins into his pockets. He bowed to her and winked at the young girl before hurrying away. When he was at a safe distance, he took the copper from his pocket, only two scraps. He swore under his breath it would not be enough to pay the scribe. 
Nedges startled at a loud growl that seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere. It reverberated around in his head, sending him into a coughing fit. He knelt to the ground, his hand to his mouth. When he took his hand away, blood splattered his palm. Time was running out. The copper would have to do. He quickly gathered up some stones and shoved them into his cloth pouch. Then he placed the copper pieces on top. Not his best trick, but anything could work if sold with enough confidence. The scribe's home was packed with papyrus and writing materials. As Nedges stepped inside, he put on a big smile and called out, You have a customer here. I do not have all day. Another coughing fit shook Nedges, making him look decisively less confident. A very short, amiable man named Ah popped out from behind a stack of scrolls and squinted at Nedges. That cough does not sound good, he said worriedly. Nedges waved him off and told him why he was there. He needed two spells for the afterlife, spell 125 and spell 30. And Ah had better hurry. Nedges had no time for pleasantries. When Ah held out a hand for payment, Nedges smiled and took a single copper coin from the pouch and tossed it to Ah. You'll get the rest at the end, eh? He said. Ah frowned. If you doubt my skill, you can inspect the first spell, he said sternly. But you will pay in full before I begin spell 30, and the cost is six ounces of copper. Nedges shrugged and said that was acceptable, but he was worried. He would need to come up with a new plan once he had spell 125 firmly in hand. As Ah assembled his tools, he explained to Nedges that he needed to know what kind of life he had lived so that he could tailor the spell to him. Nedges watched Ah's face as he coughed his way through his sins. If Ah was troubled by his many misdeeds, he said nothing. Nedges reasoned he had likely heard worse. It was not as if Nedges had killed a man. He'd just stolen a little here and there to get by. It was harmless, really. Ah muttered as he wrote, I am listing the names of the underworld jurors. Address them directly. You must say their names. A juror will stand and announce your sins. You answer them not by outright denial, but by telling them what you are not guilty of. Understood? It is my lungs that are killing me, not my ears, snapped Nedges. I hear just fine. But Nedges felt relief at Ah's instructions. The negative confession Ah spoke of was not unlike what he'd done his whole life. He was quite used to changing the subject when accused of things. As Ah worked, Nedges's anxiety returned. If Ah tried to count his payment before beginning spell 30, he wouldn't get either spell. He would be better off finding another scribe to do the second spell and using the same trick. He reached into his pouch and took out the second copper piece. The disembodied growl once again echoed in Nedges's mind, and he cried. 
Ah raised an eyebrow and paused for a moment. Then he went back to writing. Moments later, Ah abruptly stood and rolled up the scroll. He handed it to Nejes, then waited, palm outstretched, for payment. Nejes pocketed the scroll and reached for his pouch. On second thought, just the one spell today, he said nonchalantly. Keep the change, eh? He placed the pouch in Ah's hand and casually limped for the door with a wave. Behind him, he heard the rocks shift as Ah opened the pouch. Wait a minute, grunted the scribe. What is this? Nejes hobbled out the door and into the street as fast as his legs would carry him. Ah's shouts echoed behind him. He cackled wickedly and turned to look back. But instead of Ah on his tail, he saw three soldiers bearing down on him. Nejes spat into the dirt and cursed under his breath. As he turned to run, the glowing yellow eyes of Amit loomed before Nejes. The old thief cried out and tripped over his feet, falling to the dirt-packed street below. His head connected with a rock protruding from the dirt, and his world was plunged into darkness. Next up, Nejes faces the final judgment. Hi, listeners. Here's a series I think you're really going to like. We all know that medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? In the new podcast series, Medical Murders, you'll discover a disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. 
The elderly thief Nejes knew he was dying. He had lived a wicked life, and his chances of getting into the afterlife on merit were unlikely. So he stole for the last time by swindling a scribe into writing him a spell from the Book of the Dead. It was, he hoped, enough to save him from Amit's jaws, and perhaps enough to allow him to enter Aaru, where he would be reunited with his family. Ancient Egyptian embalming and burial rituals were taken very seriously in the hopes that death was not the end to one's journey. But not everyone received the same treatment. Royals and the wealthy purchased special assurances that would increase their likelihood of reaching the afterlife. This was the purpose of the Book of the Dead, or as the ancient Egyptians called it, the chapters of going forth by day. It's a collection of spells to help the soul navigate the treacherous realm of the afterlife. The Book of the Dead is not a physical book, but a series of inscriptions or documents tailored to the deceased individual. No two copies of the book are the same. The oldest Book of the Dead is a series of spells in tomb paintings and inscriptions that are from as early as 2670 BCE. By the 12th dynasty, these spells were being inscribed on papyrus scrolls and mummification wrappings and buried alongside the dead. Archaeological evidence shows that these spells were initially only available to pharaohs or highly elite Egyptians. But by the time the New Kingdom was established, around 1550 BCE, it was an essential burial item. The Book of the Dead is full of spells or chapters, each with a specific purpose. For example, some spells involved transforming the soul into a lotus or falcon so that they could reach the Hall of Judgment more easily. Others are part of the burial process to help the soul make a transition from the world of the living to the underworld. But the most important one is Spell 125. Spell 125 is a spell used to disguise a soul's sins during their final judgment in the underworld. The document is prepared by a scribe so that the deceased can recite from it as they're judged by Osiris's divine counsel. The script itself is called the Negative Confession. It's a list of 42 sins that the soul can honestly proclaim they have never committed. This allows them to speak with virtue when they confess and steer the juror's attention away from the actual sins they're accused of. The scribe also writes out the name of each juror so that the soul may address them directly. In ancient Egypt, a name was a powerful thing. The spell's success relied on the jurors being persuaded by the soul's negative confession and lured by the magic of the deceased knowing their names. After the negative confession, the heart is judged by a weighing mechanism. Spell 30 is utilized for this stage in the judgment. A soul will purchase an amulet or stone and have the spell inscribed on it. They'll then be buried with this amulet close to their heart so that its magic prevents the heart from revealing his or her sins when it is weighed. If the heart weighed lighter than the feather, the soul passes into Aaru. But if the heart weighed heavier than the goddess of truth Ma'at's feather, Amit devours the heart 
and their journey comes to an abrupt end. Nejes was delirious. His vision was cloudy and he could not hear anything. But for the first time in recent memory, his creaky old body did not ache. With a start, he realized that he was walking. It seemed impossible since he was not doing so intentionally. But a glance below showed his feet moving across stone. He thought he must be dreaming again. He squinted. A figure loomed ahead, walking in front of him. He could not make out who it was. Irritated, he called out, but the figure did not turn. Nejes tried to stop walking, but his feet refused to respond. Nejes did not like being controlled, and his brow furrowed with anger. Finally, he called out to the figure ahead, You dare play with me? At least release me so we can have a fair fight, eh? No answer from the figure. Nejes bristled. He opened his mouth to say more when he felt something in his hand. He looked down and gasped. A little girl walked beside him, holding his hand. Her skin was translucent and misty, and her lips were curved upwards in a smile. Nejes stared at her, eyes swimming with tears. It was his daughter. This was no dream, for he felt her cold, ghostly hand in his own. She blew him a kiss before slowly fading away. Nejes cried out for her not to leave him, but she did not return. Suddenly, Nejes remembered running from the scribe's house. He put a hand to his head where he had struck the rock. It cannot be, he whispered, but it was. Nejes was dead. And his daughter had come to wish him good luck. He would not disappoint her. Nejes stood tall, bracing himself for what was to come. His eyes lit up as he heard a crinkle of paper. He fished a hand into his tunic, and his fingers closed on a scroll of papyrus. It was spell 125. But just as he clenched the scroll, his heart sank. He had not had time to acquire spell 30. This single piece of parchment was his entire Book of the Dead. Nejes exhaled his panic and tried to calm himself. As he felt around in his pocket, his fingers closed on the piece of copper that he'd lifted. Bartering would not work here, but it comforted him. It was a relic from the world above and a reminder that he'd gotten out of sticky situations plenty of times before. He'd survived when he didn't have two coins to rub together. All that mattered was confidence. The figure walking up ahead slowed to a stop. Nejes found his body moving to stand beside him. This close, he could finally see the figure's head. He had the face of a black jackal, with pointed ears and a toothy grin. This was Anubis, the guide of the underworld. Anubis opened the double doors and gestured for Nejes to enter. Nejes paused. He could make a run for it, 
perhaps tell Anubis to go in first and then close the god inside, but then he would have no shot at Aaru or at seeing his little girl again. He'd be a fugitive in the underworld. He sighed. He would have to take his chances with Amit. Nejes stepped across the threshold to find himself in a vast hall. The ceilings were high, and the walls were adorned with ancient paintings of the gods. Nejes did another take. The paintings were not paintings at all, but actual human figures. They were sitting silently and very, very still as they stared at him. These were the jurors, and at the other end of the hall was a sight that Nejes had been told of his whole life. The great Osiris, god of the dead. Osiris oozed with power, filling up the room with his presence. He sat on a throne that floated above a tranquil pond. His elaborate headdress was full of plumes, and his face was impossibly handsome. To his left was Ma'at, a stoic woman. She held out her arms in greeting, revealing giant, feathery wings that sprung from beneath them. Anubis crossed the room to stand beside her. Nejes's heart thundered. His fingers felt within his tunic to once again touch the scroll for comfort. Beyond Osiris, Nejes spied a small, nondescript doorway. It was the only door in this great hall, save the one he had entered from. The door to Aaru. He eyed it wistfully, picturing his daughter waiting on the other side. When he turned back to Osiris, his blood ran cold. Something was stirring in the shadows behind the throne. The luminous yellow eyes from Nejes's dream loomed from the darkness. Amit stepped from the shadows. Nejes beheld her in all her terrifying glory. Her body was half enormous feline, half hippopotamus with the head of a crocodile. Her reptilian jaws spread into an unsettling smile as she slunk forward. Her uneven figure was surprisingly graceful. The huge yellow eyes fixed on him as she circled. It felt like she was reading his every thought. When Amit sat back on her hind legs, she towered over him by at least five feet. The familiar iron scent reached him as her hot breath hit his face. Amit inhaled his scent, and her lips curled back into a toothy smile. I smell a thief, she whispered in a voice like gravel. The elderly thief shook violently, his confidence crumbling. Bile rose in his throat. He was suddenly very aware that he was without Spell 30. He would think about that later. For now, he had to get through the negative confession. And before that, he had to win over his audience. Nejes threw himself to the floor. He made sure his voice was full of honeysuckle as he cried, 
Oh, Osiris, I have been awaiting this moment my whole life. I have done good in your name, prayed to you each day so that I can stand before you with honor. A deep, bone-chilling chortle arose from Amit's throat. Words do not matter here, Thief Nejes. Yes, I know what you are. You reek of sin. Osiris's booming voice filled the chamber. Let us begin. Nejes hid his trembling hand in his pocket as the first juror rose. With a low, ancient voice, the juror spoke. Nejes of Mayunehes, you have stolen from your grandmother's tomb. Nejes flinched, realizing he did not know what to say. He gripped the papyrus in his tunic. He had not gotten a chance to memorize it. He hadn't even read it. He stuttered as the juror waited for his response. An idea struck him. He slowly bent to his knees and bowed his head respectfully. From that angle, he could just barely see into his pocket. He used one hand to subtly unravel the scroll. He squinted, trying to make out the words. Jurors, he called out, I bow to you. It is truly, truly an honor. Fenty, from Hemenu, I never physically harmed my grandmother. But I did steal from her, Nejes thought to himself. He lifted his head to peek at the juror. He shifted uncomfortably, wondering if he needed to add something. So he remarked, Hemenu, I had a cousin who lived there. Do you know Seti? Fenty cocked his head at Nejes before slowly taking his seat. Nejes relaxed. These jurors were just like his commoner brethren above, disarmed by charm. The next juror stood and cried out, Nejes of Mayunehes, you stole grain from your neighbor's stores during a famine. Nejes once again bowed, peeking into his tunic as he said, You are Kurti of Amentet. I can assure you I have never stolen my neighbor's livestock. I would not dream of it. Juror after juror stood and rattled off Nejes's sins. The time he took his best friend's wife into his bed. When he beat a neighborhood child for waking him up too early. The day he cheated his neighbors out of their rations and blamed it on a foreigner. Nejes grew shaky. He had thought himself a good man turned bitter by tragedy, but hearing his sins rattled off one after the other was beginning to make him think otherwise. He was glad his daughter could not hear this. Amit watched carefully as he answered each sin with his negative confession. Her icy yet stoic glare was impossible to read. Finally, the last juror proclaimed, You swindled a physician by accepting his services with no way to pay. Nejes nearly laughed in relief. He did not want his sin of stealing from awe to be recited, as they would know a spell had been procured. But it seemed this final indiscretion had not reached them. He wiped the sweat from his brow. 
He bowed down again as he replied, hamming it up, Anaf from Mati, you ask me this? Please, I have never spoken sharply to a man of medicine. The gods were silent, and though Nejes waited with bated breath, he was mainly focused on Amit. The monstrous beast inched closer to Nejes and whispered, Well done, thief Nejes. You impress the jurors, but do not celebrate just yet. The scales of justice are not so easily tricked. Nejes's body went numb as he took in her smug face. She spoke of the scale that would weigh his heart. He knew too well that the only way of affecting that test was spell 30, the spell he didn't have. He would have to think of something fast. Coming up, a thief's heart is weighed against a lifetime of sins. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. Now back to the story. The elderly thief Nejes swindled a scribe to procure a spell from the Book of the Dead. When he died, the spell enabled him to stand judgment before 42 juror deities and Osiris and answer for his sinful life. While Nejes had made it through the judgment, he still had to face the greatest test of all. His heart would be weighed against a feather from the wings of the goddess of justice, Ma'at, and for this, he had no spell to protect him. The three creatures who make up Amit's body were some of the deadliest man-killers in ancient Egypt, but they also carry deeper symbolic significance. Like Amit, all three are known for having incredibly powerful jaws, Amit's name can be translated to the Bone Eater, which speaks to the crocodile's ability to digest bones. Her feline component hints at a regal position beside the god Osiris. The lions of ancient Egypt have a strong association with the cycle of the sun. They prowl the edges of the desert where the sun rises and sets, linking them to the concept of death and rebirth. 
the hippopotamus stands out among this triad because it's an herbivore. While they don't hunt or eat men, hippos are incredibly powerful, unpredictable animals with a tendency to become aggressive when threatened. Today, they kill more people in Africa than any other large animal. Ancient medical recipes show that hippo bites and maulings were something physicians treated patients for regularly. This leads experts to believe ancient Egyptians considered hippos a predator. In earlier civilizations, hunting a lethal animal like the hippopotamus was a display of extreme courage and virility. Depictions dating back to 3000 BCE show an Egyptian king hunting a hippo, conquering the wild beast as one might conquer chaos. Hippos haven't been seen in Egypt since the early 19th century, which suggests that the ancients were successful in conquering this powerful creature. But that's not all these animals have in common. The lion, the hippo, and the crocodile are all known for fiercely protecting their young. When this lens is cast on Amit, some historians see her as a protector of Osiris and a devourer of evil itself. She is purely focused on the scales of justice, and her jaws are the eternal world's final defense against sinners. Anubis clapped his hands loudly, startling Neges. The jackal-headed god nodded to the enormous gold scale standing at the other end of the chamber. Neges ventured a glance at Amit, who hungrily licked her lips. He could almost hear her stomach grumbling from where he stood. Neges closed his eyes. His mind churned as he tried to come up with a plan. His confidence and charisma had gotten him through the negative confession. Maybe they would save him again. He once again fell to his knees and called out, Great Osiris, let us not belabor this any further. I am sure you have a line of souls waiting to enter. Amit's snarl cut him off. Neges winced. He thought hard, racking his brain, wondering what he would have done in the world above. Up there, he could cheat his way into or out of anything. But there, he had tools at his disposal. Here, all he had on him was the scroll and the worthless copper piece. Neges froze. His eyes darted to the scale as an idea took shape. Osiris's voice floated through the chamber, we will now weigh the heart. Neges suddenly grabbed his chest as blinding pain flooded his senses. It was as if his chest was being ripped open. A cry bubbled up in his throat and spit flew from his dry lips as he clawed the air. He stumbled toward Osiris, but Amit's luminous eyes appeared before him. She swiped Neges's face with her paw, and he fell backward onto the floor. Neges rolled to his side with a moan. The pain left just as abruptly as it had come, but his body still quivered with the shock of it. Amit settled once again at Osiris's feet, but her master turned to her with a warning. 
Amit, it is only down to you to punish those who are found wanting. What have I said? Amit lowered her eyes and growled in response. With effort, Nejes struggled to his feet. He shook off his surprise and urged himself to focus, lest he miss his moment. Over by the scale, Ma'at stood beside Anubis. In his hand, he held Nejes's heart. He set it gently on one side of the scale. Balanced with nothing, Nejes's heart weighed the scale down. Then Ma'at plucked a single feather from her wing. Nejes fidgeted, waiting for his moment. But Ma'at was moving at a glacial pace. She paused, holding the feather up to look at it. Nejes thought bitterly, she does this to torment me, I am sure of it. Finally, Ma'at reached down to drop the feather on the basket. Nejes tensed as it floated down towards the scale. <coughs> Just before it settled, Nejes released a massive sneeze, blowing out as hard as he could. His breath jostled the feather, whisking it away and to the floor. I am so sorry, said Nejes, as he hurried forward to pick up the feather. Let me get that for you. It is no trouble at all. Funny thing about feathers, they go where the wind takes them. Amit growled in warning as Nejes grabbed the feather. As he lifted it up, he slid the copper piece beneath it so that it was hidden by the feather's white barbs. He took a deep breath to steady his nerves before turning to face the gods with a winning grin. He strode confidently over to Ma'at. Amit cried out, do not let him touch the scale. Ma'at timidly lifted a hand to stop him, but Nejes was too quick. He had already placed the feather back on the scale, along with the heavy copper piece. The scale wavered. It tilted, undulated as it made its choice. Amit's eyes were locked on its measurement. Her black tongue licked her lips. The scale tilted first toward the heart and then back to the center before swinging down toward the feather and copper piece. Nejes nearly laughed in joy. He had done it. As he silently celebrated, the scale swung back toward the heart. The basket descended to the stone table below with a dull clink. The hall was filled with a deathly quiet. Nejes's face turned bone white and he slowly shook his head. It wasn't possible. How could his heart be heavier than both the feather and the copper piece? No, he muttered. It is wrong. Please give it a chance to fix itself. Osiris spoke softly, but his tenor reverberated around the hall. The scale is never wrong. 
Nejess's eyes filled with panicked tears. He looked at the door to Aaru where he knew his daughter waited. He had failed her. It is not fair, Nejess muttered. I am not an evil man. I am not a good man, but I am not an evil man. Amit crept close to his face. Your heart, she growled. It carries the memory of all your misdeeds. When you stand in front of your sins, you justify and you deny, but there is a voice in your head that says you are a liar. That voice, that is the heart. Nejess understood. The scale had been decided long ago, but as he stared towards Aaru, he realized that the door was not so far away, a few yards at most. Amit leaned into his face and said, Where do you think we are? We are in the hall of two truths, and here, your lies are my dinner. Nejess tore his gaze away from the door and looked directly into Amit's yellow eyes to say, If you can, tell my daughter that I am sorry. And also, Nejess suddenly sprinted for the door. Amit's roar filled the air. As Nejess ran, he could see Osiris and the jurors jump to their feet but he dared not look back. The door drew closer. His daughter and eternity were only a few steps away. He reached out a hand filled with the hope of escape. Amit watched the thief run as she slunk over to the scale, for she did not have to catch him. He would not get far without his heart. Her claw closed around the pulsing organ, and she lifted it to her mouth. It throbbed in her hand, ripe with life, juicy enough with its lies to sustain her. She watched Nejess's hand close around the door's handle and yank it open. Amit grinned as her sharp teeth sunk into the heart's flesh. Nejess froze as Amit tore his heart apart. She looked up as she fed, watching the light leave his eyes and his limbs relax. As she swallowed the last piece of flesh, his body fell to the ground and crumbled into dust. Amit licked her lips. It was not the best heart she had had, but her stomach no longer grumbled. She slowly wandered over to lie at Osiris's feet once again. Osiris nodded to Anubis and said, Bring in the next soul. Amit is known as the patron of death and is referred to as both a demon and a god. But unlike other Egyptian deities, Amit is not worshipped. This may be because praying to Amit is essentially worthless. If the scale itself finds you sinful, her favor will not save you. Instead, Amit serves as a warning. 
Though her ultimate task is to devour those whose hearts are rotten, the idea that only the purest or richest among us can enter the afterlife is a terrifying thing. To the Egyptians, death is just a moment in the long journey ahead. But Amit represents a true death, one that there's no continuing on from. The idea of a beast having the final say over your eternity is truly unnerving. It's also unsettling when we consider what Amit eats. The heart was seen as a crucial organ in ancient Egypt. It was the physical manifestation of the ba, or soul, and the only organ that remained in the body during mummification. It's believed to be the part of the physical body that holds all consciousness, emotions, and any misdeeds committed during a lifetime. Spell 30 from the Book of the Dead is meant to disguise the heart's unworthiness from the scale of justice, but those without the charm will find their true selves revealed. Amit is not merely a goddess or a demon, but a force of accountability. It's the person, not Amit, who decides the outcome of the scale through the choices they made while alive. Amit is merely the executioner who carries out a sentence that we have given ourselves. The soul that stands before Amit waits to find out if they will be consumed, but in their hearts, they already know the answer. So while Amit captures our fear of mortality, she also forces introspection. And to some, that is the most terrifying thought of all. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Amit, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Routledge Dictionary of Egyptian Gods and Goddesses, 2nd edition, by George Hart, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Killer nurses, deranged doctors, mad scientists. Don't forget to check out the new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. 
Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.